everybody welcome 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 we've got a very exciting and very much anticipated crypto internet show for you this week if you are not aware we are going to be talking about subnets and scaling around stacks uh, and what that means what's to come the current milestones also get into some of the technicalities, definitions, and also the progress and when we will see this launched on a greater scale as well. So uh, a lot to cover as our speakers are joining the stage here uh, right now. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. Uh, good day, good morning, good evening, wherever you may be tuning in from around the world. I'm your host today, Kyle Ellicott, a partner at Stacks Ventures. And this is our weekly series talking about everything Stacks, the broader ecosystem, and building on Bitcoin layers. Uh, today, as I mentioned, we will be talking about subnet, subnets for Stacks scaling solutions and how this could bring 10x growth to the current networks that we've all are a part of from this community whether we're building or developing in some area as well now if this is again your first time joining here's how it works we're going to introduce some of our new speakers here in just a moment we're going to have a little bit of a Q&A session, go through a ton of questions, some that we've sourced uh, from the crowd, also from each of you and some of your comments, and just things that have been discussed over the past few months. And then we're going to come to the second half of the show. We're going to open it up for each of you to ask any questions that you may have. And uh, at that time, we'll bring you up on stage to ask your questions. So that said, please hold any questions till the end, write them down, put them on a sticky note, type them out, put them in a tweet, whatever you need to do, hold on to those questions until the second half of the show. And as we wait for our regular guests who will be here in just a moment, we are joined by three outstanding, four actually, outstanding members of the Hero team and also Stacks members. Would love to get a quick introduction since this is their first time joining us. I'm going to go in order to who I see on my screen. So Aaron, let's kick it off with you. Welcome. Just a quick introduction. Hi, thanks. Yeah, I'm Aaron, um, one of the uh, engineers at Hero. Um, I've been uh, working on the Stacks project for a number of years now, um, worked on uh, the Stacks blockchain, Clarity, and now uh, Subnets. Yeah, excited to be here. Wonderful. Happy to have you as well. Jude, I see you next uh, in order. Just a quick hello and intro for those who may not know you. Hey, folks, can you hear me on my phone? First time doing this. Um, Loud and clear. You're doing great. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jude. Um, I've also been working on the Stacks blockchain for a number of years now. Um, I was back, was joined back when it was called One Name, and then it became Blockstack, and now it was Hero. And now I work at the Stacks Foundation, mostly on the blockchain, uh, specifically on Stacks 2.1 stuff as of late. Wonderful. Welcome. For your first time, again, you're doing a great job. We can hear you loud and clear, so no worries there. Jesse, the man who has a beard potentially longer than my partner at Stacks Ventures, Trevor Owens. Welcome. Uh, just a quick intro. Thanks. Uh, I actually had a trim, so 
I think he might have me beat now. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm Jesse with the Stacks Foundation. Uh, I work alongside Jude. Uh, not quite as long in the ecosystem, but uh, I joined several years ago back when it was blocked back. Wonderful. Welcome. And last but not least, Sarala, welcome as well. A quick intro. Hi, uh, Sarala. Uh, relatively new amongst a lot here who are about to speak. I joined end of last year here at Hero as the director of engineering. My background mostly has been with banking, payments, and the permission side of the world. So it's very refreshing to be here. Awesome. It's refreshing to have everybody here today because I think this is probably the most discussed topic uh, in the Stacks ecosystem thus far, at least over the last year. Uh, its previous name, Hyperchains, uh, which I'll just throw out there, we may not use that going forward, but when it comes to scalability and upgrades for all blockchains, scaling seems to be the top uh, requested item. And particularly in other ecosystems, this is referred to L2s or layer twos, that second layer on top of the initial blockchain network itself or L1 layer one. Uh, so to kind of start out for everybody, since this is going to be a very detailed conversation, uh, would love uh, either uh, Maneeb or Aaron or anyone that wants to take this question, kind of what is a layer two and what are their importance to layer ones, specifically those like stacks? Yeah, happy, happy to chime in a little bit. I think maybe maybe giving people a little bit context here might be helpful before diving into some of the some of the designs around subnets or other other layers. I would say, like at a at a high level, uh, this debate about scalability uh, goes way way back, right? Like if you if you look at when. Uh, Ethereum started, or if you look at the design differences between between Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, a lot of the discussions actually do come down to scalability, and and you can't really think about scalability without um, without looking at the other axis, which is uh, decentralization. Right. So it's almost like at times you would uh, see this tension between between the two things, where to have something to have a global ledger like like Bitcoin. Right, where uh, anyone in the world with a relatively, you know, off-the-shelf uh, computer and bandwidth that is kind of like decent, you could run your own full node, and you could independently verify uh, the the kind of like you know the integrity of the ledger, right? And then you would have even 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 uh, blockchains like Ethereum, they would they were kind of like pushing on the boundaries on that, right? Like because the blockchain size at the rate it was growing was, was going to become a lot higher. The bandwidth requirements uh, for just operating your, your kind of like personal node is going to become much, much higher than that. And then in the in the last cycle, we saw uh, blockchain designs that were kind of like pushing even harder towards that direction, right? So I'll, I'll just take the example of Solana, for example, like the the normal average requirements for running a node or, or the bandwidth requirements are, are extremely high. And, and, and that is also why, uh, you know, you see scale, right? Like it, it's a little bit like if you take the extreme example of a, of a system uh, like the, like the Definity internet computer ICP, right? Over there, it's almost like a whitelisted uh, set of data center nodes uh, who are 
the only miners, right? Like literally it's like a whitelisted set. It's not even an open membership thing. And so that's much more similar to a bunch of kind of like data centers just talking to each other uh, in a federation. And you could you could have really, really fast speeds in those models. They're, they're, these things have been around even before blockchains, right? Like you could have a federation because uh, you have trusted nodes and you're, you're basically talking very, very fast between those nodes. And, and Bitcoin, I would use that as an example of the other side of the spectrum where uh, you know, it is optimizing more for decentralization uh, than scalability. So with that kind of like context in mind, uh, I would say that the, uh, the, the first version of Stacks that went live, the mainnet that happened in uh, you know, Q1 of last year, uh, it definitely optimized a lot more for decentralization than scalability. Right? And, and we have Aaron and Jude here and they can, they can dive a lot more into why, why that design decision uh, uh, was there. But in general, you know, that's, think of this as the total network capacity of the version of Stacks that's live right now is um, somewhere between Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? So it's, it, 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 it would basically process even less transactions than Ethereum 1.0 can, uh, can, can process, right? Which is, if you think about it, uh, it's, it's obviously that will look very limiting, right? And the reason why you're doing that is because of decentralization, right? Like you want to maximize decentralization and then think about scalability in other terms, right? So regardless of how much network capacity you really have at the blockchain layer, if you get enough traffic, at some point you're gonna run out of it. We're seeing that on Ethereum, like Ethereum technically has more network capacity than, than the version of Stacks, uh, but clearly, you know, people run out of that network capacity, right? And, and you have to think about other types of scaling solutions. And this is where, uh, you know, L2s come in or other types of, of, of uh, scalability solutions come in. Let me kind of like pause there and see if anyone uh, wants to chime in before we dive into like what those scalability solutions kind of like look like. But my main point is that this is a very fundamental trade-off. Any blockchain hits that and people pick different points on the curve, like how decentralized do you want to be uh, and and what's your core design and then what's your strategy for scaling up? Because no matter what amount of network capacity you have at the base chain, at some point you are going to run out of it. Floors open, Jude, uh, Aaron, uh, Sarah La, Jesse, any, anything to add or Patrick as well uh, onto that? Well, no, I, I think that that's, uh, that's a good, um, a good sort of summary of like the trade-offs that you face in blockchains when it comes to decentralization and, and throughput. Um, yeah. Uh, I have a question. What, why, um, can you explain the trade-offs um, from the lens of Bitcoin and why Satoshi made the trade-offs that uh, they had made? It's not clear that Satoshi even made trade-offs. Like the block size isn't in the white paper at all. And Satoshi, um, at least according to you know the, the messages he left beyond the paper, um, thought that eventually Bitcoin would run only in data centers and that the blockchain would operate in some sort of sharded mechanism by UTXO. Um, it, so that doesn't happen, obviously, because the users who succeeded Satoshi in, in maintaining the Bitcoin software um, wanted uh, prioritized making it so that you could run a node easily at home without a dedicated network line or a very high-powered computer, for better or for worse. Um, I think the reason they did that is because 
um, they've kind of come to the same conclusion that we have and that this ecosystem seems to be coming around to, which is um, you can easily run layer two or layer N systems really that are run by fewer than the full set of nodes for a more specialized domain task. And as long as they settle back to the original chain, that lets you offload a lot of the compute and the, um, the storage and the bandwidth uh, necessary to get stuff, useful stuff done um, without having to clog the whole blockchain in the process. Uh, the downside is that those such systems are uh, much more difficult to build by comparison, but they're the only real way forward. Blockchains in general don't scale. The way you make a blockchain system scale up is you add more blockchains to it or more systems like Lightning to it that find ways to make it so that not everybody has to process everything. Yeah, so I think I think some of these things have played out in the in the history of our industry, right? Like the... Uh, and that resulted in a kind of like a new fork of, of, of Bitcoin. Um, and saying my connection was lost, can, can people hear me? Yep, you're All back. Right. Yeah, so I think, I think the, the block size wars in 2017 are a, a classic example of this, right? Like there, there was a uh, one school of thought in the Bitcoin community that wanted much bigger blocks. And the downside of that is uh, that it becomes harder for a normal uh, node uh, to a normal person to kind of like run a node, right? And a lot of people in the Bitcoin community were like, "No, we we care about decentralization over over anything else," right? And that was the fork. And, and you you've seen that all those. Uh, I was reading a stat that out of like fifty plus forks of Bitcoin that have happened, their combined market cap is less than one percent of BTC. So basically, all forks of Bitcoin, including these big block ones, have, have, have pretty much failed over time. Right. So the Bitcoin has made it very clear that the decentralization is the thing that matters. But I think there are other blockchains that have come around, and maybe you know, using some recent examples can help people visualize what the what the difference is between the two approaches. So if people are familiar with like Solana and Avalanche. If you look at like how they're trying to scale, Solana is pretty much in the camp that they want to scale the base layer as much as possible. Although now there are some talks about other types of scalability solutions in that community as well, but I'm just trying to simplify that Solana basically wants to make the base layer as fast as possible. And they've, they've, made, they've, they've, they've made certain design decisions that you know, without getting into too many details, at a high level, they have centralizing factors in them, right? Like whether it be that, you know, the way they they pick a leader is deterministic because they want things to be fast. And that's a, that's a, that's a potential DDoS vector or the, just the node requirements of like what, what type of a node you need to run uh, uh, to be, to be able to be a miner. That's very, very, very high. Right. Uh, and if you, if you look at Avalanche, like they're generally kind of like in the similar uh, camp that you can't scale the base layer that much. So you have to add these additional layers on top and they, they are going the, the route of basically a bunch of, so subnets is a more generic term, right? Like subnets, uh, the term is used in to kind of like traditional internet as well back in the day. Uh, so the subnet, you know, as the term suggests is a smaller network that's kind of like attached to a larger network. Right, so that's the approach that Avalanche is taking as well, uh, where there are subnets that are kind of like baked into the core design, and then let's say a, a gaming company comes 
and they want to launch a, some sort of a game that is very high volume, uh, they have the option of launching their own subnet. So the traffic on the subnet is not going to interfere with the traffic of anybody else because they have kind of like their own execution environment and their own network capacity that they're using. Whereas if, if that same game company would launch on Solana, they're gonna impact the network capacity for everybody else, all the other other users on the, on the network as well. And so then with, with that said, kind of setting the stage for scalability, what are subnets in relation to stacks and the stacks ecosystem? And I'm gonna open the floor uh, to the hero team uh, along with the foundation as we've got multiple members here. So would, would love to hear kind of the definition of subnets as they was apply here within stacks as Manib just kind of gave us a term as it applies to the avalanche network. Yeah, I'll, I'll let them dive into the details, but I just want to uh, make one comment first, which is uh, I think this definition of like what's an L2, what's a L1 there, they can become fuzzy at times, right? Like I've, I've sometimes described uh, stacks as a layer 1.5. Now looking back, like it's probably not a very clear uh, thing to try and convey like, hey, what exactly is a, is a, is a layer 1.5? Uh, so so I, I would say like in general, the mental framework to have in mind or almost like a picture to have in mind is that Bitcoin in general scales in layers. I think people can understand that now with Lightning because Lightning is an example that a lot of people are familiar with, that it's a Bitcoin layer, it settles on Bitcoin, right? And then Bitcoin is kind of like the base layer and it's the money layer and, and so on. So, so think of stacks as like, you know, I would, I would even encourage people to not, uh, to move away from this like strict layer one, 1. 1.5, layer two type of mentality, but Think of stacks as almost like a separate layer that depends on Bitcoin for certain things. And now we are trying to scale that layer by adding another layer, right? So some nets in my mind are kind of like a scalability layer uh, over here. With that, a little bit of a context, I'll let other people dive in. Yeah, I can, um, I can try to provide as... Uh as specific of a definition as possible for a subnet. So, so subnets are a like general framework for uh, layer two networks for the Stacks blockchain. And so what we mean by a layer two network in subnets is that each subnet is itself um, a blockchain. Uh, with its own uh, consensus rules, uh, separate from the Stacks blockchain, but each subnet supports um, withdrawals and deposits from the Stacks blockchain itself. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I, I like how Monet um, put it uh, about the layers. So Stacks, as we said, the programming layer and hype. Uh, subnets. I'll I'll probably switch between hyperchains and subnets still because that name is still very near and dear to me. Um, so uh, subnets is really the layer uh, where we are providing ultra fast transactions that further extends the stacks functionality, right? Um, and yeah, like uh, 
Aaron also put it, it supports withdrawals as well as deposits, but it's also an open source solution. Uh, it is designed for flexibility so we can further tweak the decentralization axioms that we've spoke about so far uh, according to the use case that we want to uh, tailor the specific subnet for. So those are the key factors, the flexibility to tailor uh, a use case uh, and tuning in and off the decentralization and the scalability of it. And that scalability can come in two flavors. One is um, throughput and then faster block confirmation times. Yep, and what, what I, I would add is that uh, that given given that in a subnet, you could, you could almost uh, use different trade-offs, right? Like if, if you think of this as like, it's usually a scalability versus decentralization trade-off. In a subnet, you can choose to be less decentralized. Uh, you can say that, like I can give an example. Usually I think performance boosts come from two places, like broadly speaking. One is that if, if you can make your uh, set of miners that are mining, uh, if you could make it kind of like more predictable, right? Like instead of, instead of having uh, this open membership competition, going back to, you know, Definity, Definity is effectively a whitelisted list of miners. So if you apply the same framework on a subnet, uh, and this is an extreme example that on one end of the spectrum, if it's a completely whitelisted set of miners, you know, already know who the miners are. Uh, and then the second thing is the requirements for being a miner. You can actually require that they're running very high powered uh, nodes and they have very fast bandwidth links. So that would effectively translate into extremely fast transactions and quick confirmations and very high network capacity in that subnet. But now people, users and developers have a choice that, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's use a, a somewhat of a, a more practical example. Let's say you want to do an NFT mint and you know that it's a series of like 50,000 or 100,000 pieces. And on the, on the main chain that is optimized for decentralization, it's going to take a very long time. It's going to clog the mempool and it will be very slow. So you decide to mint the NFT on the subject. Now the trade-off is that yes, it, so this is what people would call a burst in traffic, right? Like a spike in traffic because a minting is a one-time process, right? So you, you saw the burst in traffic. There was a ton of traffic to mint those 100,000 items. And people did that on the subnet because they could easily absorb the load. But on the flip side, you probably don't want to keep your NFT on the subnet because it's less decentralized. You're kind of like dependent on this list of whitelisted miners. Uh, so what people would do is once the mint is over, you know, they would try to withdraw their assets over time to the main chain and kind of like you know, store it in their wallet or something like that. Right? So it's, it's, it's giving the, both developers and users more options and more flexibility that if you want to go to, go to a place that has much higher uh, uh, throughput or much faster transactions, you can do that, and then you can withdraw your assets out when you when you want. So, with with that said, I want to come back to that example, Jesse. One one second, I, I want to take a step back. There were a lot of things thrown out uh, in the what are subnets category, and I want to break some of them down in a, a simpler fashion. Aaron, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you. Uh, what you mentioned, uh, subnets are their own blockchain with their own rules, uh, which from what I've read in the technical documentation, that could mean their own set of miners and their own set, their own consensus 
type as well. Uh, what does that really mean when it, it's, we say that it has its own rules, but is there any impact that they may have on the core Stacks network? Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, there's maybe two questions there. So the first is, oh, I'll answer the second first. So the second was, uh, does uh, subnet have any impact on the core blockchain? So uh, the answer is uh, mostly no. Um, subnets can operate uh, independently of the Stacks blockchain. I mean, they are issuing transactions on the layer one chain periodically to you know process deposits, process withdrawals, um, commit uh, their chain state. Uh, things of that nature are done on the layer one blockchain, um, but they don't rely on layer one, uh, any changes in the consensus protocol of layer one. Um, subnets can choose whatever consensus protocol um, they want to have, and uh, this has basically no impact on the consensus rules in layer one. Um, and then the first question you asked is like, what does it mean for uh, subnets to choose different consensus rules? Um, I think you were right when you say that primarily this means they have their sort of free choice of who gets to mine on their subnet. Um, but it could also mean uh, more advanced things going forward, you know, when we're looking at sort of more advanced techniques than say Byzantine fault tolerance. We could look at things like implementing subnets through optimistic rollups or um, zero knowledge proofs, things of that nature. Um, yeah. Perfect. And then uh, Sarah Law, you you mentioned uh, leaned a little bit into the withdrawals and deposits. Can can we go down a little bit more in detail as what that means? So subnet support withdrawals and deposits on the Stacks network. And Manib kind of touched on this with his, uh, the NFT example that he gave, but would love to kind of go through that at a basic level and get up to that example uh, as well for those listening. Sure. Um, so the key difference between a subnet um, and the main chain is that all the deposits and withdrawals in a subnet uh, go through the main chain smart contract. That's main chain subnet smart contract that resides on Stacks, right? So to deposit into a subnet, users will have to submit a transaction that goes via the Stacks main chain that would then invoke the deposit method on the smart contract. So similarly for withdrawals, the reverse. So when a user finishes minting, they finish interacting with the subnet. They submit a main chain transaction that invokes the withdraw method on the same smart contract. So everything that you're doing goes via that main chain smart contract, main chain subnet smart contract. Um, and also another key thing to notice that Aaron briefly touched upon is that while users are interacting with subnets, users have to completely trust the consensus algorithm of that subnet. So they trust the hyperchain miners implicitly. So when they're doing these deposits to end and withdrawals, they're basically giving the miners arbitrary control over their assets in that particular subnet. So the miners then have complete control over those funds 
as needed for that use case. Um, so you users definitely have to be mindful of that trade-off. Um, you know, in addition to the decentralization aspect of it, uh, they're gaining speed, they're gaining all this latency improvement in latency, but they're also placing this implicit trust in the subnet and the miners themselves, at least in the current version. And as we evolve and move more towards the decentralized flavor of those, I think uh, we can probably rely on rollups, uh, zero knowledge proofs, um, and that relationship can be very much similar to what we have on stacks today. Yep, I think that's, that's very, very helpful. Uh, I think if you could imagine almost like an architecture diagram, uh, maybe maybe it's worth uh, contrasting that with Ethereum and some of the L2s on 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 Ethereum. So if you if you almost imagine like hey there's kind of like Bitcoin on one side and there's uh, Stacks that has this connection to Bitcoin where kind of like you know the consensus and leader election is happening on the Bitcoin layer. And Bitcoin, I view that as a as a money layer, right? Like Bitcoin is really defining money and it's not really doing any anything else. Uh, and on the other side of the picture, if you look at Ethereum, uh, it is it has a full smart contract system, and it's also trying to be money, right? Like the ultrasound money meme that's there. So the downside is that Ethereum is much more complex. Uh, Bitcoin is much more simple for money. But Bitcoin Bitcoin's downside is that it doesn't doesn't have smart contracts. Ethereum has smart contracts. But because Ethereum has full smart contracts, you could define these L2s. Uh, by publishing smart contracts directly on the Ethereum-based chain, right? It could be different types of scalability solutions. We already know there are a bunch of these L2s, like you know, Optimism uh, or, or uh, Arbitrum, and, and and so on, right? So these L2s uh, by publishing smart contracts directly on the Ethereum-based chain, right? It could be different types of scalability solutions. We already know there. Are are a bunch of these L2s like you know Optimism uh, or, or uh, Arbitron and, and and so on, right? So and they can be different in how they are trying to bring a scalability solution, but the basic model is similar. That there is a smart contract published at the Ethereum layer, and people are kind of like sending their funds into that smart contract, and that contract is basically the L L2, right? And and then people are withdrawing their assets out. Through, through that contract. And then the security depends on, in, in, in case of Arbitrum, there are fraud proofs. So if you if you think that the L2, uh, something went wrong in L2, you could always go back to the contract published at the, at the Ethereum L1 uh, to provide a proof and basically get your money out, right? So the main reason why the stacks layer is there in the middle on the Bitcoin side of the picture is that you can't publish those sophisticated contracts directly on Bitcoin. So that's the main difference, right? But, but I think like the way I see this as evolving in the future is Bitcoin becomes the money layer. The stack's main layer is a little bit like your, your data and coordination layer and subnets can become the execution layer. Right? Like a, a lot of really fast execution whenever people need it, and potentially in different execution environments as well, could happen in subnets, right? So it's a, it's a little bit like a layered architecture for how uh, the Bitcoin side of the picture can scale over time and can have uh, you know, smart contracts. Obviously, the, these contracts are published at the stacks layer, 
because you can't publish them on, on the Bitcoin layer directly. Uh, I want to open the floor as well to, to Jude, Jesse, and Pravita as well. If there's anything else we missed uh, around the initial core of, of subnets, and, and I do want to dive on the technical side here in just a minute and some of the use cases, but a lot was said. Uh, there's a lot of talk around what is to come in the future, which we're about to get to as well. But anything else we've missed that the three of you might want to throw out there uh, around subnets? Um, yeah, it's more of a question, really. Um, so one of the things that I really like about proof of transfer consensus is that uh, everything kind of trickles down. Like we've got stacks and then we've got city coins. And if someone wants to take it further, they could have you know a neighborhood coin. Uh, or a street coin, and it all settles one layer up. Um, with subnets, it seems like the same kind of scenario could work too, where you've got multiple levels of subnets that all settle one layer up. Um, Aaron or Maneev, is that correct? So I think when, when you're withdrawing your assets out, uh, you're effectively, you can call that a settlement out of the subnet on the on the main sector, right? So in that way, the model well, it's also works what you're saying. Yeah, well, I think the answer is yes. You can run subnets on top of subnets on top of subnets if you wanted to. Um, assuming that the trust relationship works out um, to your favor there, then sure. Um, you could have your tokens settle from subnet layer you know, 10 down to 9, down to 8, all the way down to Bitcoin. This is actually a question I have for Aaron. How many subnets can we run in parallel? A thousand? 10,000? A million? If we do this subnets on subnets on subnets? Um, I mean, if you do subnets on subnets on subnets, then yes, you can run an arbitrarily large number of them. But you're getting like more and more distant from, say, caching or withdrawing out to the stack's base layer, right? True. Um, scale true. Yes. And how, how big is your machine, Jude? <laughs> How big is the, the machine only, I can rent? Is that a question? <laughs> and the only problem, Aaron, is that it's really, 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 really fun. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, it, yeah, I, I think that like the, the other way you could ask this question, I guess, is like how many uh, subnets could run uh, at the same time directly on top of the stack's blockchain. Um, and that's like ultimately a question about the stack's blockchains sort of throughput vis-a-vis -vis what these subnet contracts are trying to do. Um, so, you know, if the subnets are primarily just um, storing their uh, chain state, uh, hash of their chain state back to the stack's blockchain, um, then, you know, you could run tons and tons of these at the same time. Um, but if like lots of users are trying to all withdraw at the same time, or lots of users are trying to deposit, then suddenly you're talking about like a lot of layer one transactions as well. And you're gonna yeah. run into those sort of uh, throughput limits. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. Um, my mind immediately goes towards the case of, um, if you could have like a schedule of settlements, this might be something you could kind of avoid, this like thundering herd phenomena. That has some interesting applications even beyond you know, doing NFT mints, like 
if you had, if you structured your subnet correctly, you could potentially do something like, I don't know, run a real-time strategy game using a subnet as a backend. All, all a subnet really is is just a VFT replicated replicated server, right? So as long as you can express the logic for the server backend in clarity, it should be fine. Yeah, I think I think this is this is really interesting. So the the traffic on the main chain, the the way to think about it might be that. Uh, if you look at a smart contract, let's say, let's say if you look at Ethereum traffic, right? Like there's a lot of traffic that gets generated by a Uniswap or a OpenSea uh, contract. But then similarly, if there is an Arbitrum L2, that would generate a ton of traffic as well because people are kind of like sending their assets in and out of the uh, out of Arbitrum, right? So the subnet is going to look like that on the on the stacks layer that there is, there's, let's say there's subnet one and subnet two. Uh, let's say one is running Clarity and I'm just gonna throw it out there that let's say the other subnet runs EVM. Uh, that doesn't exist by the way right now, but I'm just saying theoretically that you have a different execution environment. So on the main stacks layer, you'd see traffic being generated by these subnets. So more practically, I think, you, yes, you can see a bunch of these subnets kind of like running, all running. Uh, and they're they're generating traffic, and the fundamental limitation is then going to be what is the network capacity of the stacks made there, right? Because you could do a lot of stuff internally in the subnet, but at some point you want to withdraw your assets out, uh, and it could be it could be like you know you have zk rollups as as, as subnets or, or fraud proofs like Arbitrum as subnets, and the the, the point that I want to make with this is even with the subnets work. At some point, making improvements to the main stack's network capacity uh, remains important, right? Because the, 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 the main network capacity will end up being a bottleneck at some point because of all the traffic going in and out of, of, of the subnets. I call it the subnet inception. Um, I, I would definitely love to see a lot of these subnets. Uh, and like you said, Mani, within that subnet, uh, the consensus rules of it would determine how fast, how many transactions would go through um, and how stacks would scale in relation to the subnets. I think that's also tweakable if we introduce something like zero knowledge proof where you're bundling a lot more transactions than probably right now we're doing with DFT. Um, so the frequency with which you'll roll up those transactions into the stacks can also be fine-tuned. So it's definitely possible, but that's my op very optimistic take on it. On that note, uh, Sarala, I actually want to ask yourself and the core team here about what is the current status uh, of subnet subnets as it stands today. I mean, this is again something we've been talking about and all anticipating for the last year. Uh, mm -hmm. Very excited for it to come out. But where are we currently uh, with the subnets and their availability, and just being able to begin uh, testing or, or trialing those today? Yeah. So the subnets contract is live and kicking on testnet. So if anyone wants to tinker with it, it's available on testnet. We've in fact taken that contract and built a use case on top of that, uh, an NFT use case. And Pavi here is on the call. She can chime in on how that use case works in a little bit more detail, but it piggybacks on the deposit withdraw features that we just discussed. Um, so you should be able to mint, uh, 
um, an NFT on a subnet um, and then transfer it back to the main chain um, as required. Um, right now, our focus is really performance benchmarking as well. Uh, we've claimed those 10x improvements and that improvement could mean both throughput as well as uh, faster block confirmation time. So to that end, we are focused on making some performance improvements. Pavi is also working on tweaking the MARF as it stands today. Because, um, you know, subnets are essentially going to be free of forks. So there's less need for MARF to be used in its current form. So we are doing away with that or tweaking that to say to use a more flat key value store. So three categories at the moment. So we have the subnets contract live on testnet, NFT use case also live that you can play around with. Um, and then current focus is performance, benchmarking and improvements. And that will continue into the remainder of the year as we continue to run more security audits, legal reviews, um, et cetera, tying the loose ends for a solid mainnet launch. Um, yeah, I, I would actually hand this over to Pavi. I know she joined us um, recently um, on this <laughs> chat. So Pavi, take it away and discuss the NFT use case. Hey, um, yeah, so I released a demo for the NFT use case, which you guys can see on Hero's YouTube channel. So essentially, the use case uh, takes us through um, using, you know, basically the uh, subnet in relation to the Stacks Layer 1. So essentially, in the use case, what I have users do is um, publish an NFT contract on both the Stacks Layer and on the subnet chain. Then I have the user mint an NFT on the Stacks chain. They then deposit that NFT into the subnet using the interface contract that Sorala mentioned. So each hyper, uh, sorry, each subnet uh, corresponds to a particular interface contract that lives on the stack layer one. This interface contract has deposit functions, withdraw functions, as well as functions to track the chain state on the subnet. So the user would call the deposit function uh, on this interface contract. Once they call it, they can wait a little bit, and then their NFT will be minted on the um, subnet. Once they have their NFT on the subnet, they can use the NFT any way that they would normally use, even on the stack chain. Is there feedback, by the way? Uh, there's a little bit, but uh, we can we can hear you okay. Okay, hopefully it's not too bad. I don't know how to fix it. Um, so. Basically, they can like send it to other users. So in the use case, I have um, a transfer, so you can transfer it to another user. Once you transfer it to that user, that user like owns that NFT. So then that user has the right to withdraw that NFT back to the Stacks Layer One, which is how the NFT continue. I mean, which is how the use case continues to go. So in the subnet. Withdrawing is a two-step process. First, you call a withdraw function that is on the subnet. So we have three additional clarity functions uh, on the subnet that correspond to withdrawing an NFT, a fungible token, or STX. So you call the one that's appropriate. Then once you withdraw your asset, that basically gets stored in a cryptographic data structure, which the Stacks Layer 1 chain is aware of. Then, once that happens, you can finish your withdraw on the layer one by then calling the withdraw function 
on the interface contract. So that user can then call that in withdraw function and then by the end of the use case, the NFT is back on the layer one. So that might have been a lot in a short amount of time. <laughs> but if you want to know more, YouTube demo as well as check out the written version of the NFT use case. Yeah. And just real quick, uh, Saralad, just real, real real quick. As a note, uh, I did tag uh, the tweet that Hero put out of uh, Pavi's demo in the YouTube video. So uh, any of those that are listening, just scroll right up to the top. Her um, video is available right there in that tweet uh, as well. So go Brilliant. ahead, Saralad. Yeah, so in addition uh, to the NFT use case, uh, we, we have the core functionality for subnets in place. And a lot of progress has been made since Feb, since we started this effort. Um, for people to start using subnets and integrating within our wallets and other applications, obviously, API support and Stacks.js support needs to be also in place. That's also parallelly being worked on at the moment. Um, we're also working on building an abstraction layer. Um, the design conversations are ongoing at the moment. What that abstraction layer will really bring is um, the ability to abstract the libclarity's public function. So then you can have different flavors of VMs, different flavors of consensus mechanisms within each subnet is is the foundation that we are lay, laying out at the moment. Um, and also thinking about the design for how these roll-ups in terms of whether optimistic or zero knowledge proofs would look like. Um, so a lot of work happening behind the scenes, but we would love to get more feedback uh, from what we have on testnet at the moment. Awesome, that, that's, that's great to hear. I think one thing I wanna add is that if you are a just a you know average user of Stacks, or if you're a developer, uh, you know there are a lot of details here. And maybe maybe if we zoom out a little bit, like what does it mean for an end user, or what does it mean if you're a, if you're a developer? Uh, I think for folks who have tried using Stacks in the last year, they would notice that whenever there would be a spike in traffic, you know the mempool would start overflowing and transactions are getting slow and so on. So basically, the launch of subnets the the first immediate thing it's going to do is it would give the option to some of those high spiky traffic applications to move their traffic to the subnet. And I think NFT mints are probably like the most logical thing uh, uh, would be the, some of the first applications. Other things could be that, you know, if you have um, Alex, for example, is launching like a derivatives exchange, uh, they could they could do that part on a subnet, right? So, so developers would have basically additional options that if there's a part of your app that is uh, that requires like a ton of transactions or it has these bursty traffic, uh, you can use the subnet and that effectively reduces the load on the main chain because that bursty traffic can now go on the subnet instead. So there, there's kind of like less traffic uh, that that's being directed to the main chain. And I think that's how it's a, it's a scalability solution. Uh, one other thing I would point out is uh, people can also think of a subnet. And right now, I think initially there's going to be basically one, the first deployment of a subnet. Uh, you can also think of that as almost like a test bed for some improvements that can eventually find their way to the SAC's main layer as well. Right? Because 
because subnets are technically speaking, it's a fork of the stack's main layer code. And then there are obviously changes that were made to that fork, but you could actually push back some of the improvements. You could, you could first test them out in a subnet in, uh, environment and then actually merge those changes back to the stack's chain as well. Right, so that, that almost gives you almost like a test bed uh, where people can test out you know, certain features, code changes, and eventually they can make their way to the Zach's main chain as well. This is great uh, all around. And I think the question that everyone is, is waiting on uh, right now to ask is when? when it will be the launch date or what does the time frame look like beyond the current availability of the test net and some of the initial use cases so i'll be the one to ask when are we going to see this when will subnets launch we'll go from there tomorrow now um so most likely early uh, q1 uh, very early q1 is the uh, target that we're working towards one, in addition to all the work that we've mentioned about the audits, et cetera, subnets uh, are totally dependent on 2.1 going live as well. And that is scheduled um, to go into activation towards the end of this year. So once that is done, I think subnets will be ready to be launched on mainnet. Um, so Q1 2023, mark your calendars. Calendars are marked, everybody. Uh, very exciting. I got maybe one or two questions, but do want to go to the audience. If you do have a question, go ahead and raise your hand, uh, and we will bring you up on stage as well. Uh, one thing I would love to kind of touch on, back to an earlier point we discussed, was about performance. So uh, we made this 10x claim around how fast uh, the subnets are, and also we're currently, as mentioned, working on performance, benchmarking and tweaking, but uh, what has been done, if you guys can share on a technical level to improve that subnet performance uh, thus far from initial discussions to now it's testnet version. Uh, if we can share a little bit more about how we got to that performance level of 10X and maybe even beyond it. Yeah, so I can kick off with where the 10X uh, is coming from, and then I'll hand it over to Aaron to chime in on some of the ongoing work a little bit more in detail. So uh, the current version of subnets, it's a closed membership, closed membership of miners. It's a coalition to say, um, and they automatically use larger blocks than the current stacks main chain that thereby increases, increases throughput. <laughs> So we anticipate some somewhere around four times increase in terms of the throughput. And also given that subnets cannot fork on their own, um, their coalition issued microblocks will always get confirmed um, by the subsequent anchor blocks of that subnet because one of the BFT consists mechanism. Um, so this significantly then reduces the latency. So we, and we expect um, a, a reduction of the latency, so reduction of confirmation times to one tenth. So that is where that 10x is coming from. And for us to get there, uh, there's a lot of work to do. Uh, one is to obviously benchmark our current version against the main chain and then take it further, uh, dial it further up a notch. Um, and some of the MARF improvements that I mentioned earlier also tie back to that. 
Um, so our pro- we're not there at the 10x uh, performance improvement yet, or I don't know if we are 20x there. Um, so that that's the target. That's our North Star for the moment. So I'll hand it over to Aaron to chime in more, a little bit more on the uh, improvements that we are actually working on. Yeah, so um, like Sarla said, um, on, on some level, you, you get like a lot of improvements like for free um, just by um, mandating a sort of closed minor set, um, mandating that uh, microblocks always must be confirmed. Um, you get basically latency and, and throughput benefits more or less by fiat because you can increase block size because you don't have miners competing with one another anymore. Um, and you can sort of guarantee microblock confirmation. So on some level, you get a lot of performance automatically. Um, to move beyond the that potential performance gain, um, you have to start um, doing other things. So some of the things that we're looking at, um, which have already been mentioned, is things like um, alternative um, backing storage. Um, so rather than using uh, MARF, which is um, optimized for settings where you're expecting um, to see some amount of forking or maybe more frequent forking um, than subnets are expecting to see. Um, so replacing that backend with something closer to a flat key value store, um, we expect to also um, increase uh, performance significantly. Um, and then on top of that, uh, just looking at sort of abstracting away the virtual machine. So if people want to run a different virtual machine, they can. Um, and similarly, um, each subnet, you know, the miners are ultimately deciding um, what the consensus rules of that subnet are. So if they're running a virtual machine that's um, faster or slower, they can sort of adjust their, their block size and, and start to get benefits there. Awesome, thank you guys. Uh, we had a question. Uh, I think Resh uh, was up here with a question, but may have dropped off. So I do want to open the floor to to any questions that anyone has uh, in the audience. Again, this is a very exciting uh, teaser to what is available now, but also what is to come around scalability and just the release of subnets. All right, Resh, you're back. All right. Welcome me up on stage. All right, floor is yours. And apologies for such a dumb question from my end. So if subnets running clarity and will they be running a proof of transfer? If it is not, uh, is it still uh, accurate claim to say it's smart contracts for Bitcoin then? Or would that be seen as misleading? Maybe, maybe I, can, I can take that. So the first subnet is running the clarity VM. Um, and but the it's it, it, uh, the, the the consensus is not strictly kind of like proof of transfer because uh, there's it's not an open membership system right like you're almost like picking who the miners are and then you can actually they, the miners can elect leaders much much faster and I think because subnets is a is a the code base is a fork of kind of like the stack's main layer. Uh, the ability to read Bitcoin transaction, uh, they inherit that, right? Like it's it's, it's similar uh, to the stack's main there. 
And I think the a lot of and, and then stepping up a level that I think when people think about smart contracts for Bitcoin, uh, there is the read functionality which is currently live. Uh, there's also the 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 write functionality which you know we're doing R and D on, right? So once once more progress is made on that R and D from the uh, Stacks mainnet side, mainchain side, you can always use that. Subnets can also benefit. Uh, from that functionality as well. And I think the, the last part here is that usually typically when people think of a uh, uh, kind of like taking some sort of a Bitcoin derived asset and, and using it in smart contracts, uh, you really want to have a non-custodial asset, right? So that's another uh, almost like parallel R&D track where uh, right now you have custodial assets like XBTC Live but we want to have non-custodial trustless assets that are that are Bitcoin derivatives and that can be used in in the in the contracts running on either the Stacks chain or even the contracts running running in subnet. So I, I think the, the, there's I had to like unpack the question a little bit because there are many kind of like different dimensions to it if, if that makes sense. Thank you very much, uh, Manib, as well. And I, I think. We that is our last question as well, and I do want to wrap up here. I think this is a good ending point, and uh, we got a lot of information for people to digest and also to take back uh, to their teams to start talking about how subnets will impact their applications and can be integrated as well. So big thank you uh, to the Hero team uh, that joined us. Also Jude and Jesse from the foundation and always uh, Maneev and Patrick as well. Uh, for those that want to learn more, make sure to check out hero.so uh, on the blog at Hero. There's tons of information about what we just talked about in more detail and some graphics uh, that may uh, further provide visual insight to a lot of what we discussed today. Also make sure to follow Hero and Stacks on Twitter to get up to date with everything that is happening with subnets, the rollout uh, further on testnet and its upcoming launch as well, along with 2.1 upgrade later this year. And if you haven't done so already, we did pin the tweet. Uh, we will reshare it in the episode notes. Uh, make sure to check out uh, Pavi's uh, demo as well around the NFT use case. Uh, that said, again, thank you to all of our speakers. Thank you to everyone for tuning in to this week's Crypto Internet Show. If you would like to tune in live, ask questions, or join the conversation, be sure to follow Stacks on Twitter and tune in every week at 5 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. Until next week, I'm your host, Kyle Ellicott, partner for Stacks Ventures, and we'll see you all soon. Subnets, subnets, and subnets. Take care, everybody. Have a good week.